Hello and welcome to the Ed Fringe podcast, Kate Copstick edition. Anyone that knows the Edinburgh Festival has probably heard of Kate Copstick, if not read one of her reviews. She is notorious in the best and worst way. What's interesting about Kate is that for a long time, potentially about 15 years, she was known as one of the most scathingly vitrolic reviewers on the festival, was known for making a reputation for herself for being very brutally honest, uh, you know, both in a positive and negative way. Like all reviewers, she has her own taste. And if you're lucky enough to be in the realm of what she likes and she enjoys on that night, then you would potentially get a a review full of glowing praise and creatively written glowing praise. If you're unlucky enough to uh, not be to her liking, she would very creatively, in a very savage way, take you apart. I still know very well-known performers who will not be comfortable with her being in their shows, not because they think that she's going to review them, but just because they've been stung in the past and they have no taste for that. In the same way that uh, there's a reviewer that has never enjoyed me but still comes to my gigs I swear I I don't know whether he just thinks that eventually Barry might uh, have a show that I enjoy but um I, I like you just don't quite get over a viewer that is just you know brutal about your shows and it takes things from a very um you know somebody that can talk intelligently but also will not see you in a partial way is coming with their own kind of axe to grind is so heartbreaking as a performer but Kate is uh, over the last kind of 10 years I think in some ways she softened she uh, maybe it's something to do with age but she's now a lot more supportive of especially the newer acts I think her vitriol lands much more on the corporate side of the fringe rather than on um the middle classness of the fringe which is maybe the people that she didn't like so much or um or anything that was had the facsimile of entertainment she really lords the idea of the rawness and roughness of what the edinburgh fringe was as you'll hear in the interview so um that's uh, sometimes her gripe and her angle but over the last 10 years as i say she's softened a lot been a real supporter of Nurex, um really went out of her way to support the malcolm hardy awards and the kind of performers that you might not see otherwise so the more work class element of performers and you know as she talks she's outspoken and she has come under fire from um, certain other performers as well on Twitter because you know she's got a mouth and she's not afraid to use it and she'll put her opinions out there she'll be able to argue her opinion and she certainly isn't uh, applying a political agenda but um you know, it can, if you, these days, especially if you're, you can be quoted on social media, you, you do get the ire of certain areas of people that don't, don't necessarily believe in you or, or don't like what you say. So um, of late, she has fallen foul of those. What I do like to say about Kate that um, lots of people don't know is that I interviewed her in a uh, charity shop, which she runs called Mama Biashra, which uh, is a charity that she started up potentially about 20 years ago, I think it was which is a sexual health charity in Kenya so it supports women in the country to um, learn to learn about sexual health because obviously the passing on of HIV and AIDS is a huge killer and certainly was at that time of people in Africa and a big part of that is ignorance not uh, you know not promiscuity it's just that people just didn't know about project uh, protection and so she actually works with people that are um, working in the sex industry and other people in order to kind of provide some form of both um, information and um, education and also support in other ways to maybe get people, uh, get women out of the sex industry over there, which I I think is an interesting thing to bring into um, an introduction to Kate because you might just hear the voice but of what she says and her different opinions, but there is also um, the other side of like you know you can choose to judge some people on what they say or judge people on what they do, and there she doesn't really talk about it loads. She raises money for it, and she um, it's a charity that she started up, but. Um, it's an interesting side of Kate that she might not be virtue signalling about all the time, but it is very much there. And it does it doesn't make you beg the question of like, I wonder if all the people that are kind of, you know, very 
angrily outraged at some of the things she says. I wonder what they're doing to, uh, commensurately to actually affect some positive change in the world other than just tweeting about it. But yeah, I, I, I add that just as a bit of colour, really, because um, I think a lot of people, if you look up Kate Copstick, a lot of people will come with a partial decision beforehand, whether they like or dislike her. And something that I do appreciate about Kate is that she's, it's not like she's a mouth for hire, but she really does, um, it's the opposite of that, really. She she has a mouth and she's not afraid to use it and she is very charismatic with that and can tell a good story which is why I really wanted to interview her for the the Ed Fringe podcast because she really does embody a certain part of the spirit of the fringe and she's so good at expressing that so yeah I hope you enjoyed these um these memories from Kate Copstick who is herself part very f- much a part of the fabric of the Edinburgh Festival fringe I will see you on the other side after that massive introduction that was probably way too much but i hope you uh you hope you enjoy the actual interview okay see you on the side bye 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 i just said bye bye don't know why bye 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 everyone hello kate Gostick. hello <laughs> how are you doing all right you have to say that at the beginning i don't know if there will be that so um edinburgh festival yes okay so uh i'm going to ask you quite a few questions about the festival and also on a certain route because the audio tour goes on a certain route oh, okay so um I'm going to take you kind of on stops on the route and then I'm going to ask you on certain subjects. Okay. Questions, subjects. So the first stop on the route of the audio tour is uh, the Tron and uh, Hunter Square. Have you got any particular memories that come up of things that you might have experienced around the Tron or shows that you might have seen at the Tron or um, uh, the uh, particular, because there's always street acts. Street there are always street acts. Um, and <clears throat> oddly enough, one year I thought I'd... I got so lucky. I got a flat right at the top of Blair Street, virtually, like opposite the City Cafe. And because when you're reviewing, you, um, well, be- before the days of Wi-Fi connectivity everywhere, you're seeing like four shows and thinking, I can't remember this amount of shit. I need to go back and write it all up. So if you were staying in Craig Miller, uh, then you were fucked, basically. You're absolutely screwed. So I, I got this... Blair Street thing. Uh, I thought it was fantastic, except that what I didn't realise was the city cafe is open till five o'clock in the morning with screaming people who obviously have no life other than drinking at the city cafe till 5am. And then there's the the, the strange people with... Um, inappropriate tattoos and bad hair who juggle children and whatnot. And they seem to start about eight o'clock in the morning. So the entire time I was, I think the whole of that August, I got about four hours sleep. Um, and there was always people, because uh, it one of those buzzer doorways. And just because I was on the third floor or something, I'm not going down to see it. It was you'd buzz somebody in and you'd go down in the morning to find someone who just vomited in the hallway because that was all they wanted, a, a quiet quiet place to vomit. So that's what I remember of Hunter Square is vomit, noise, inappropriate tattoos, bad hair. And I have to say one year, that was where I fell in love with Jack Stanhope um, properly. I'd, obviously, I'd always been an admirer. Uh, I love his stuff because I just love people who go for it. And there was what I can't remember what year, but he did a series of shows called The Unbookables with all kinds of strange and weird people who considered themselves to be kind of unbookable. And uh, that, to me, is a, is a perfect fringe comedy venue. Nobody, nobody. In fact, as soon as I assume complete control of the fringe, no one will be allowed to use the conference centre. No one will be allowed to use the McEwen Hall, which is opened again this year. (laughs) Nobody will be allowed to use any venue, which is more than about 300 seats. And if possible, comedy will only be seen in small venues like the Tron. Slightly smelly, very badly air-conditioned, if at all. Uh, not, a, not a very great supply uh, of different kinds of beers so people don't spend a lot of time at the bar ghastly smells on the way down the stairs, terrible toilets but a very intense experience where you are close enough for the comic to spit at you and in the case of Doug Stanhope and the Unbookables there was a lot of spit I just remember uh, um, 
uh, Scott Capura was on the bill one night that I saw and somebody got up and punched him. Doug Stanhope was basically being given all kinds of drugs by saddos in the audience and taking them all. And it was just, it's the kind of thing you never forget. You go and see some TV comic at the EICC, you're only going to remember it for five minutes. You'll probably remember mainly the ticket price. But the Tron, everybody should try and see a comedy show at the Tron. Mm. There's something dark and dank. Ah, you feel like it's you're a proper comedy world. venue. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It smells of, you know, despair and cheap aftershave. And there's, it's a real fringe venue. Is that, it's, it's interesting when people talk about late and live as well. Mm. The, the, kind of the old late and live. Oh, shows. the old late and live when you were knee deep in vomit before, you know, the, the, the second act was on the stage. That was what it was about. And that's why... I mean, people try to recreate that. You can't. Um, because the, the fringe has become quite antiseptic. It's become industrialised. And now, that, I mean, I would say, you know, at Late in Live, you rarely got an act. Um, you know, one of these acts whose posters have got 45 strips of five-star reviews from I'm a bit of a fuckwit, but teehee, I get free seats for doing reviews.com. Uh, and, you know, as seen momentarily on Mock the Week. Um, you never got that. You got proper people who were up to do crazy things and give it their all. And they certainly give it their all, sometimes in the pit of their stomach, on uh, Late in Life. And it was, it was Karen Corrin. It was crazy and smelly. It was, it was dangerous. You never knew what you would get. You could go along and be absolute shite. Because all the acts were drunk, you know, half the audience was unconscious and everybody was just puking. But it was an experience. People don't... There's insufficient experience because everyone's up there with a promoter and a PR now and they want uh, a return. But they front load the costs. You know, they go, well, you've got to pay for your, uh, you know, life-size posters, your team of probably... Oh, I don't know, Jippo flyers who just take a you know five thousand of your flyers and tip them in a bin and get their money. Your PR, who's probably useless. Uh, your management, your management offices, your runners, your management's flat. So you're never going to pay it off. You're going to have a sad time and not have enough time to get riotously drunk and go and experience late in life as it used to be. Mm. Yeah, I, I was actually. Uh, most comedians that you'll meet are still paying off an Edinburgh from oh, 2010. Absolutely. Or something like that. I mean, I, I would say now, you know, when, when I started, it was fantastic. I remember the very first Edinburgh I did, um, I was. Oh, I was in what? A gym hall, St. Thomas Aquinas School, which is um, at the bottom of Lauriston gardens almost on the meadows in a gym hall which sounded like a gym hall and I was enjoying it so much uh, I kind of got asked to do another show which was out at Craig Miller Castle our send of nowhere in a ruin we were pr I mean you know what August in Edinburgh is like I mean it's very picturesque and lovely and now it's all done up with visitor centres and everything but then it was just a ruin and practically everyone had hypothermia I was playing a jester we only came on twice I was up in ruined tower for two and a half hours, uh, only coming down once to skip in, insofar as you could with frostbitten feet uh, around the stage area going with a hey nonny no and a hey nonny no, hey nonny nonny no, hey nonny nonny no. And it was wonderful. And, you, you know, people now, because it's got so industrialised, People and everybody wants to be Dave Gorman when they grow up. I'm talking about comedy here. So they need PowerPoint and all kinds of stuff. Um, I, and their management want lighting and there aren't, you know, as I say, the Tron, all these dirty little skanky venues. Yeah. That's where you want to go. Get to the free fringe. Get to a Peter Buckley Hill venue and see some real fringe comics doing real fringe shows. Mm. I mean, I can't... The Edinburgh Fringe, the Fringe, right? Fringe, I'm saying Fringe, F-R-I-N-G-E. Mm. You get, um, who's the guy with the minimal talent and ridiculous hair? Russell Kane. There are you know, um, uh, just, I mean, pulling his show off, if you pardon the expression, uh, because the sound wasn't right. Mm. That's not the act of somebody at the Fringe. Mm. 
Yeah, it's, it's funny. It's like oh, Eddie Izzard uh, recently had the same situation and did it shouting. Yeah. Uh, What's wrong with shouting? It's not obviously not to a stadium, but to a. Yeah, well, he was only he was in the assembly. It wasn't that big. But uh, yeah, there's a, but there's a lot of that kind of. Type, oh. Type of I mean, they should ban them from the fringe. As, as, as soon as I assume complete control. It's, it's, you know, I've, I've said this as well for, for a while. It's, it's not the fringe. The fringe, no. by definition, just is. You know, it's not an Orwellian state. It's that the fringe is that yeah. the word means what it says. Yes. You know, the meaning is absolutely. Fringe. You know, and now, I mean, maybe it is evolution. Once upon a time, there was the Edinburgh Arts Festival, which begat the fringe, and now, the fringe. Well, it begat free fringes and five-pound fringes. And, you know, uh, if you want to look to the future of the proper fringe, go to Peter Buckley Hill. Mm. Any of his... Go to any of his venues. Again, like I say, like um, like the Tron, like even the caves. I've, I've, you know, I, I would advise uh, taking a prophylactic course of caniston before you go anywhere near any of the caves venues. But, you know, otherwise you're going to come out itching in places you didn't even know you had places. But it's fantastic. You should be thinking, this is a great comic, but what's that dripping down the back of my neck? That's a fringe experience. <laughs> Okay, so we're, we've gone, to, we've gone to the Tron. So and and then up, you've got the Royal Mile. Now there's the Royal Mile of flying, essentially. Yes. Like I don't know what your experience is. I mean, have you ever flyed? Oh God, what? yes, have I've flyed. How are your feelings towards flyers? flyers? Well, I, I'm a great believer in all the shows I've done. I've done a lot of shows in Edinburgh, uh, starting with that appearance as a jester, uh, where we we got the whole of the. It was a jauntily entitled a piece called Sir Simon Saint or Sinner um, and as I was a jester and uh, we flyered all the way down the Royal Mile uh, which gets you know less productive the further you get towards Holyrood because people are just kind of bemused and a bit bored but um, there was three of us playing kind of jester come minstrels um, one of whom was a complete stoner a uh, New Zealand guy called Chris and uh, <laughs> we got to the top of the Royal Mile to do this very important because you know you get you get given a time on the Royal Mile they don't just let you wander about willy-nilly uh, because Edinburgh District Council or Edinburgh City Council have to get their money money's worth there are millions and billions of money's worth out of Edinburgh during the festival so you get your time so we were poised at uh, St Giles and gathered, there was like half a dozen nuns, Mother Superior, uh, some blokes in period costume and the three of us. And uh, we, all, we had our, like our minstrel sticks and whatnot. And Chris the stoner had a tambourine. Now he was the one that was going to attract the attention with the tambourine. Well, we handed out. Chris forgot his tambourine. <laughs> So we went down the length of the Royal Mile with Chris just taking his hand and kind of waggling it in the air and going the whole of the Royal Mile, (laughs) attracting no attention whatsoever apart from some concerned passers-by who worried what an obviously stoned Antipodean in a jester outfit was doing going and waggling his hand about. You're actively ignored. Abs- yes, actively ignored. Um, I flyered. Oh, we did. I did a, 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 a show. The future of comedy. The Independent called me. Uh, it was called uh, Dicing with Death, and we handed out nibbles. I was uh, a character called Nadge, a marvelous woman, and uh, it was a, a two-hander. But we played about twelve parts, and we handed out nibbles. Uh, uh, specifically, it was garlic croustade topped with smoked mackerel and horseradish patty, which, as we said in the show, it was only what the Lord Jesus Christ himself would have done had he had access to Delia Smith. <laughs> what with the loaves and the fishes. So that was quite good fun. That got Obviously, everybody's up for freebies. But it, it gets... I mean, my advice to flyers... Flyer... To... Um, my advice to acts and shows, flyer yourself. Nobody gives a shit about your show. And certainly nobody who's paid to be in a team of flyers gives a shit about your show. They will take your flyers, they will stand there like the undead and thrust them at people who don't want them. 
they will um, they will put them in they will bin them uh, my advice to people with shows would be forget the Royal Mile uh, let everybody else do the Royal Mile um, just have flyers with you all the time give them to anybody when you meet don't flyer somebody till you can see the whites of their eyes do it as a person not a flyer um, and uh, I would say pub toilets that's your place leave them on top of the cistern pin them on the back of the door women's toilets in pubs they sit down they do sit down and they're there they may be chatting to their friend they may be having a scratch and a rootle or whatever but they spend time and they they look at them there. So forget, you know, the Royal Mile, it, it's for tourists, really. Unless, you know, I, I that was another. Oh, I had a flat in the Royal Mile once. Oh, my God, opposite St. Giles. And uh, again, what I, it's like miscalculation. It was a conversion, a studio flat, floor-to-ceiling windows. So when I got up out of my sofa bed in the morning and stretched naked view to the again all the people uh, outside St Giles who again bloody I don't know who they think they're going to impress about five o'clock in the, well not five o'clock but like eight o'clock in the morning because there was no one there apart from me in a bad mood naked at the window uh, because they'd woken me up with their whatever it was they were doing <laughs> but don't forget to spit on the heart of Midlothian outside St Giles you know on the on the pavement it's, it's the hot it's this middle of Midlothian oh, and that, that. oh yes that's what you're supposed to do just outside St Giles there's a heart in um, sort of cobblestones on the pavement heart of Midlothian not sure why you should spit on it it's for good luck but spit don't gob nothing that's going to go crusty just a spit <laughs> I didn't know that oh yes I, I, when I spoke to uh, like because this I mean the next point up is St Giles and there's mm. uh, I, I know that uh Arthur, because there used to be the old police station there, and Arthur yes. was on one of his late night tours trying to release Nelson Mandela from the police station. He got a load of people right, <laughs> right outside. But um, yeah, I didn't know about the heart. I didn't know about the heart. Oh, yes. And um, okay, so then the tour goes up at St. Giles and it goes down um, to down Victoria Terrace. Ah, uh, kind of yeah. Stone. Yeah. And uh, there's Finnegan's Wake there. There's where Espionage is. There's yeah. shirt place there. And all of those, you've got the cheese making shop. You've got the. Indeed. Well, I, well, I, um, Pierre Victoire has gone now, but there used to be a restaurant just at the top. I think it might even have been the first Pierre Victoire famous for giving you an absolutely fantastic meal for about a fiver, which is probably why it went out of business. But sadly, not, not there uh, anymore. Um, and the joke shop at the bottom, of course. Uh, if you're very lucky, you might see Jerry Sadowitz in there at, at some point, uh, who is a true magician who truly loves magic. And anybody, you know, if you want to talk to Jerry, you know, no matter how scary he looks as a stand-up, uh, he, you know, he loves to talk to people about about magic because that is his first and abiding and will be his last love I think so you never know if you're very lucky or indeed if you just hang out there all the time you might see Jerry in the joke shop I like the idea of pacifying an angry Jerry Sadowitz like, <laughs> with, like, with, with card magic, magic. Yeah, it's like a, <laughs> yes I know you're enraged but how did you do the trick with exactly yes yes <laughs> it, 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 and of course the old traverse yeah. is down at the bottom there I mean it's which again was fantastic venue, um, kind of musty and dusty and tiny, and uh, I remember seeing the hard man there when at Tom McGrath play about Jimmy Boyle with David Heyman, now star of whatever it is, not Wire in the Blood, but um, oh I don't know, Telly, yeah. professionally hard bitten Scotsman now. Um, but starring him as, as Jimmy Boyle, amazing. And again, the new Traverse is lovely and fabulous and all that, but I just, a lot of these, a lot of Scottish drama, a lot of Scottish humour and all that, it needs to get down and dirty because that's where it's born and that's where it lives. And uh, the old Traverse, I met Billy Connolly in the old Traverse. I say I met, I said hello, he said hello, 
he was talking to a friend of mine, a, guy, a director called John Murta, who was the director of Sir Simon St. Sinner uh, of the dreaded flyering down the Royal Mile saga. <laughs> Um, but you know, people proper people used to used to pop in. It was great, lovely food, marvelous place. And and I say, just kind of it. It's now that we've got all these kind of bespoke um, performance spaces. What was wonderful and is still, if you look for it, wonderful was that when the fringe kind of erupted in uh, August, anything and anybody's outside toilet could be a performance space. Now, because of the demands, largely of you know management and whatnot, they have to have proper performance spaces with proper uh, sound and lighting and everything, and everything's covered in blacks. And there's no, there's very little quirk. You know, you, you there's a, actually, there's, ah, on the Royal Mile, there's a, one of my favorite little um, uh, venues down at the, towards the bottom, but this cannon gate, really, I suppose, is the fudge shop, mm. where you get some. Okay, it's not the world's greatest, but you get some really good little, com- you know, comedy, new comics, uh, just doing a very short show in a fudge shop, and you get free fudge, and it's fantastic, and it's proper Edinburgh fringe. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just we're temporarily taking over this fudge shop at night to do a show. I love it. I really love it. And people should go not just for the free fudge, um, because there's always you're, there's always the chance of finding your comic, and that's that's the best. Yeah, discovering something yeah. new. That is discovering sold. something for something yourself. Not sold to you. Yeah. yeah, discovering something for yourself because they're the ones that you remember. Um, again, just off uh, the Royal Mile. Uh, there's St Mary's Street which joins up with the Pleasance and just on the corner of St Mary's Street and the Royal Mile there used to be a venue called St Mary's Hall many many years ago a thousand years ago I was producing a radio show at the Edinburgh Festival um, for uh, it was called Festival City Radio it was Radio Force they used to split their wavelength during Edinburgh and I produced a two hour uh, radio show every morning, every weekday morning. I know it was fantastic. I lost a stone and a half, but I met some fantastic people. And what I did, I keep saying this to reviewers, to punters, to everybody throw, maybe even throw away newspapers and everything, and don't look at, uh, um, don't look at promotional material. Just go, oh, that sounds interesting. Oh, what about that? I went to see... I, I, I was pursued by a, a young guy, <laughs> those were the days, uh, who was doing a, who was producing a show, directing a show, at St Mary's Hall on the corner of... Um, no longer there, sadly. Uh, Royal Mile and St Mary's Street. And I was very much against it because they were posh boys. They were from Oxford. And I made, you know, like... I just made the completely prejudiced and probably a little racist decision that I wasn't that interested in having posh English boys on my radio show. But I eventually listened to the tape that he gave me and almost lost a kidney laughing. It was just hilariously funny. And I went to see the show in St Mary's Hall on the corner of St Mary's Street and the Royal Mile completely fell in love with them. Not only were they hilariously funny, but at least two of them were drop-dead gorgeous. And one of them was Hugh Grant. It was a show called The Jockeys of Norfolk. And that, you know, so I've always felt, A, that Hugh Grant is a tragic loss. His career in in film is a tragic loss to sketch comedy. And, you know, again, when I assume complete control of the fringe, I'll be getting in touch with him and saying, come back, just do a week like the good old days. But I've always felt that Hugh Grant was my discovery. Because I found him in 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 a little church hall, you know, on the corner of the Royal Mile. Just wonderful, brilliant. And you should all, there's always going to be somebody there that's uh, 
that's a little bit wonderful. And he's not going to be playing the conference centre and he's not going to be in uh, the McEwen Hall. He's going to be under a pub or... And, I mean, there's some wonderful little strange quirky venues like, as I say, the the fudge shop on the Royal Mile. And they are the ones you should be going to. My friend Toby Williams wrote a play uh, set in the fudge shop uh, about two years ago. Yes. It's beautiful, really yeah, lovely play. It's absolutely. Just like, you know, funny, but also... Yeah. But that's a, such a lovely sentiment. I'm really... Uh, that's a beautiful sentiment, and it's the right sentiment. Like yeah. I, I first went up to Edinburgh when I was 17. I was in that uh, So That You Funny at the time. And Melanie Miller, who was running the... Uh, this guy did a bit of stand-up in, when I was younger. And uh, Melanie Miller just... Who ran the Red Rose Cafe? Ah, you know, yes, the Red Rose Comedy Club. Yep. on St. Yep. Sisters Road. Uh, so I was doing a gig for her, and she said, "Oh, are you going out to Edinburgh?" And I was seventeen. I don't think so. So, oh, I'm in the semi-final of this thing, but I can't make it. She said, "Well, I'm going up tonight. I'll drive you up there." Yep. She drove me up there. I stayed with her parents in Musselburgh for about three days, yeah, and then took me in. But like, I had no money, and I was just, you know, going around finding different shows. Yeah, I ended up seeing Logan Murray's. Crazy thing in the. I, I saw Bib and Bob. Bib and Bob yeah. on the Colton on Hill. The, yeah, Colton Hill. I, I got in a tent. For that. Fantastic. It's amazing. But you just kind of. You no, they are the ones. Find the... They are the ones. <laughs> and then you go, or you'll find, you know, kind of like upstairs through a door around the back, and yeah. you'll go, this, it's like an adventure finding the venue. And it also, you know, for people who are coming from outside Edinburgh, gets you to see. Edinburgh, because it's a wonderful place, and it's not all on Bristol Bloody Square. Mm. Yeah, so, but the you know being so lucid on on everything, um, you know the insight that comes with those that mix, mm. you know because it's, it, it, well, it certainly rings true for me because I've been to Edinburgh so much, like yeah. it's a big part of my life. It's yeah, like a, it's given me a new name, maybe bankrupt. I've gone through the whole thing, <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, it's. Um, of that, the, the the mystery and the wonder of it as well. Yeah. It's like, you know, and the kind of like, you know, it can treat you well, it can treat you yeah. hard. It's like, you know, it's, and like it's a, you know, like it, a cosm of, of uh, kind of an intense, little kind of... There's always of something, mm. you can always get something good out of it. The reason people uh, get, you know, depressed or whatever that is because is because they're not doing it kind of with a with an open heart, as it were. Um, because, and I'm mainly talking about comedians here, it's much easier to find the real fringe if you go and look at theatre, if you go and look at music, if you go and look at spoken word. Uh, because these people don't have, you know, John Thode and Addison Cresswell on their back. Mm. going, you know, numbers, 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 numbers. They're not obsessed with getting on TV. They're not going to commit ritual Harry Kiri if they don't end up on Russell Howard's Good News. Um, to get the best out of the festival, you have to go up because you just want to go up and have a go and jump right in. And, I mean, it's always been a place, you know, historically, where, you know, fascinating Aida got discovered there and the Cambridge footlights get discovered there. And um, it's always been a place where people would go and towards the end of the month, they'd get some creative people from telly who might uh, recognise their talent. Now, the big problem is there really are no longer any creative people in telly. So please don't come up to Edinburgh because you think someone with a bit of vision is going to spot you. There are, you know, they don't exist. The people who go, I mean, if you look at, uh, if you happen to wander, I don't know whether your, uh, your tour goes down there, why should it, it's not very interesting, down to uh, George Street and to the, you know, hang around like a groupie outside the, the George Hotel, which is the, cent- the epicentre of the television festival. If you have half a brain, you'll notice that most of the people there are now either hangers-on or old and very bitter because they don't have any power anymore, or running something, which means they're probably 12 uh, with half a media studies degree from a jumped-up polytechnic in Hull. Uh, They're not going to do you any good. You have to come to Edinburgh to do your thing. Uh, And... Sque- you know, squeeze it till the pips squeak. Go around, do free gigs, do uh, little spots on other people's show. Um, find who your friends are in comedy, and and that's what it's for. It's the people who 
who get disappointed by Edinburgh or feel they're disappointed by Edinburgh are people who are looking outside themselves. They're looking for what they can get. They're looking for, as I say, uh, the number of uh, the number of stars they can get on their poster, and they don't really care how many, you know, who is giving them those stars. As you wander around Edinburgh, I'm sure on the tour you'll be passing thousands of posters and flyers and they will have thousands of stars on them and really that should tell you how much stars are worth now nothing <laughs> and, and I'm, I'm sure uh, on on some of the the roads you go down you'll see the massive posters uh, which are paid for with massive amounts of money by massive PR and production companies and all that money is going is is a little chip out of the the heart of the fringe because those big posters they are the ones please I would beg you as you go past those rows and rows of big posters on on the big uh, hoardings please close your eyes hold hands on the tour close your eyes and just go past them without looking because they are not about the fringe they are about people who can pay something like 250 quid Per, per poster space. So avert your gaze. There's probably something pretty and more Edinburgh-like on the other side of the road. But don't look at those big, you know, those big posters because they're not about the fringe. And this is a fringe tour. Yeah, high five for that. There's a, so I mean, coming down. So we've been to the bottom. Where the yep. old traverses? Where? What is the? I, I'm not quite sure of the location of the old traverse. Uh, there is now, if you go down... Armstrong's is the charity... The you come right down to the bottom, yeah. actually onto the grass market, yeah. and there's still, there's like a... An, well, basically, the old Traverse is now apartments. OK, uh, OK. So all, you can see the gate that used to go in there, okay. but it's now been bought over and it's all now apartments. So shed a tear for the good old days. <laughs> and, uh, and Billy Connolly, yeah. really. <laughs> And then we've got, uh, coming back the other way, we've got the graveyard with... Um, oh, Greyfriars Bobby. Yeah. Greyfriars Bobby. Yes, Gray, a lovely Gray, tale. Graveyard. And then uh, down to Cowgate. So uh, so down through Cowgate is this kind of... Uh, it's know, wonderful. Yeah, you it's, just get it through the kind of the gutter of the city. It way. is vomit alley. It's... I love the Cowgate. And what is, what is quite exciting is that... Um, it's kind of the, the the world is the fringe is coming back to the cowgate. Um, once upon a time, before you know, it, I think it, it's not that long in terms of the history of the fringe. It's not that long since the underbelly arrived. I remember when the underbelly arrived, and it was so exciting because nobody had ever done it. Never, nobody had ever dared to do anything with those. It's like storage warehouses. I just loved it. I remember, uh, you know, Charlie and Ed, they must, it was a huge punt they took. And it was, you know, very exciting. And again, it was someplace you really felt there ought to be some kind of uh, Médecins Sans Frontières outpost at the, at the gate. Because you can, you just knew you were going to contract something ghastly in there um, <laughs> and uh, oh I remember their first uh, their their first press day you know because everyone has now the the, the assembly rooms uh, or sorry assembly Bill Burdett Coote's assembly was famous for their press launch taking about four days you know babies being born people dying buildings going up while you were still in uh, watching somebody doing a, you know, commenting on the state of the universe through the medium of modern dance. Um, the 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 uh, underbelly's first press launch was fantastic because everyone was given five minutes, no more than five minutes, and it was fascinating. And I saw a play which, on paper, I thought everything I loathe. Um, it was called 100, and uh, it was. I saw five minutes of it. I was captivated. I went back. I reviewed it, and it was just extraordinary. I mean, it, nobody. They didn't really have much of an audience. I mean, I gave it a five-star review. I nominated it for Fringe first. It was fantastic. I just fantastic, wonderful, great, and 
and underbelly took a lot of risks, not uh, the least of which um, allowing a lot of very drunk people in ridiculously high heels simply to walk up that little cobbled entrance into the venue itself. Um, but it's, I love it that it's still there. I, I don't know, I'm in a very mixed mind because I suppose looked at in one way the underbelly is the great success story of the fringe mm. uh, because Charlie and Ed went there took a big risk on a hellhole, turned it into one of the places to be. And now they're taking over everything. They've got the cow. They've, I mean, as I say, I, I think it's horrific. I think it's anti-fringe, you know, the McEwen Hall. Uh, I, I dislike that. I I dislike the... the um, the industrialization of it. But then I suppose what I'm doing is saying I don't want them to be as successful, I don't want them to be as good at what they do as they are, because they are a huge success story. So that should be good. Mm. I think I just want them to be as successful but stay small, which is not yeah. possible. Yeah. Um, but lots of people you know, have come up through the various ghastly little rooms in the underbelly that have been discovered. And it's, you know, I, I, I never understand how they can possibly get fire people to say, yes, it's okay, because everyone would die in that space if there was a fire. Mm. One, t I mean, even trying to get to the toilets, you know, you're taking your life in your hand up that spiral staircase. Well, there was the fire, of course, in the old Guild of Berlin. Well, that, um, you know, I, I'm a great one in saying, oh, don't worry, because it'll all be fine, nothing's going to happen. But then uh, further along, past, I have to say, there's one place of which I I have an abiding memory. As you're going along the, the Cowgate from the underbelly, you go under the bridge... <laughs> Uh, avoiding the pigeon shit and the pee and all the other bodily fluids which you'll find there. Just on your right-hand side, there's a pub. Uh, I can't remember what it's called now, but that was where I first met Malcolm Hardy. I was uh, doing a little uh, piece for Scottish television, I think it was, uh, in character, uh, 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 a lady called uh, Madge. And uh, she was from um, Morningside, lovely lady. And uh, Madge is actually the lady who was in Dicing with Death. And I met Malcolm Hardy, and the director framed the shot. I interviewed him with Malcolm standing, uh, legs kind of apart. And they, you saw me through his open legs, just past his dangling testicles. Because <laughs> I don't know if, if the people on your tour realise the the enormity and the, just the sheer wonder of Malcolm Hardy's testicles. They were like two rugby balls in a, in a couple of string bags. Quite extraordinary. And... That's, that's where I first encountered both Malcolm and his testicles at the same time, needless to say, uh, and interviewed him, uh, a, a legend. Almost, I, I would put him on a par with Arthur Smith in terms of fringe legends. Um, but that, now those, those uh, pubs and little clubs there on the right-hand side, just as you come under the bridge, there's one called Opium, there's, they're now coming back and their venues again. Uh, on the free fringe, and they're fantastic. They're they're where to dis because how can you go wrong? You're in a pub, nobody's charging you anything. You get comedy along with your booze. If you hate it, you can leave. If you love it, you know how much better does it get? Um, and then moving. Moving along, you pass seven, uh, the Three Sisters, which uh, again has gone through various incarnations and now again is a free fringe venue and fanta a fantastic free fringe venue. Um, and then there's what was the Gilded Balloon. That was a great, you know, it's, it kind of epitomizes the fringe with, you know, Karen Corrin. Uh, who is somebody who always did and still does take a risk on people that nobody's ever heard of because she, in her gut, 
feels that they will be good. And, and the, the Gilded Balloon was always somewhere uh, where you could see new, strange, wonderful. Um, I remember, ooh, I don't know how many years it is now, uh, probably 12 years, something like that. Uh, I, was, I, I was reviewing, but I was also making a documentary uh, for Carlton Television. So I was hurtling around constantly you know, kind of under two tons of, of camera equipment. And it was getting, it was about halfway through the fringe and I was just at the stage where I was thinking, please don't make me go and see another stand-up comic. I'm, I'm losing words to describe them, even if I like them. I don't know what to say because there's a certain sameness to a stand-up comic. And um, I, it was at the Gilded Balloon, so every place in Edinburgh, you'll probably notice on this tour, is up a hill and into the wind. Uh, even if the place you've just been to is up a hill into the wind and you're coming back, miraculously something happens so that you're still going uphill and into the wind. It's like an Escher paint. Oh, it, absolutely. So I'd come tanking along. It was a, Oddly enough, it was a brilliantly sunny day. Uh, I grabbed my ticket from the Gilded Balloon box office and it was in Gilded Balloon Backstage 2, which was all the way up the steps at the back of the Gilded Balloon. And uh, I was so grumpy by the time I got there. And I was cutting it very fine. And uh, the person at the door took my ticket and went and said, oh, you know, <laughs> you, you look a bit worn out. I went, yes, 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 I've just got, I'm, uh, I, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm, I'm nearly late. No, 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 you're not late. It's fine. I went, oh, God. And he said, would you like me to take care of all this stuff? I thought, oh, that'd be fantastic. And he said, is there anything else I can do to make your day better? And I thought, this is marvellous front-of-house attention by Gilded Balloon. Well done, Karen Goran. And I said, well, a large Jack Daniels wouldn't go amiss. And he said, would you like ice with that? <laughs> I said, yes. So he went away with, you know, I got my ticket stub, went in, sat down. And I thought, this is, OK, I'm actually feeling better now. I'm feeling quite good. So got out my pad and uh, the voice said, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to the stage, uh, Adam Hills. And it was the bloke from front of house with a large Jack Daniels on ice for me. And he had no idea who I was. And uh, I thought, oh, this is a bit embarrassing. Um, but luckily enough, it was utterly, utterly brilliant. And about halfway through, the show, which I was adoring. He looked over and he said, uh, you're feeling a bit better now? And I went, yes, I am, thank you very much. And he went, what are you writing? And I said, well, I'm actually writing a review of your show. And he went, oh, is it a good one? I said, yes, yes, it's okay, it's a good one. And he went, oh, I think we have to see it. So he came over, took my pad from my nerveless grasp, read out my notes to the audience and said, Oh, I think we can do better than that. <laughs> so with the help of the audience, he wrote uh, part of the review, which uh, I printed in The Scotsman, uh, because I felt, well, I mean, A, it, it wasn't that witty, but it was heartfelt. And it, it said how fantastic the show was, and it was brilliant. And, and that's, that typified, you know, if you could, again, cope with, because that was Vomitale on... Um, on the right hand, as you looked at it, on the right hand side, um, which is now a club and a venue, um, was uh, the Gilded Balloon One, and that was where you got late and live. And just every night from, I don't know, from 11 o'clock till four or five in the morning, that was just the craziest place. And it was where everyone wanted to be. Uh, comics, punters, you name it. And it was, certainly for, for comics, it was a badge of honour to say you'd done late in live. And even for punters, it was a badge of honour to say you'd survived late in live. And that was where the original So You Think You're Funny used to, uh, used to happen. Um, it, it was a tr tragedy when that fire, it kind of took 
Well, everyone, it shows the power of the fringe and the power of Karen Corrin. Because um, everyone felt it had torn the heart out of the fringe, because it was, in those days, the heart of the fringe. Because down on George Street, you had assembly, and further down the stand. And then along, there was the, uh, there was the underbelly. And Bristol Square just had the Pleasance uh, dome. And down on the left-hand side, on the Pleasance, there was the Pleasance. But in the heart of it all, really, was the gilded balloon. And it felt like the heart. It was down and dirty, and comics loved it. Real comics loved it. And uh, when it went... That that year, I think everyone, especially comics, held their collective breath to see what would happen. And you certainly don't seem to be able to keep Karen Corrin down because she went to TV it, and now it's got, albeit you know, it, it's 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 a glorious big architectural, architecturally splendid building. She seems to have dragged it down into the glorious, uh, slightly pongy gutter um, that that the the original gilded balloon was, and and you've still got the crowds and the funny little weird venues carved out of rooms that were never meant to be venues, and it's it's glorious. I love. Uh, the Gilded Balloon, and I love Karen Corrin. She, as I say, she still is somebody who will take a, a punt on a comic, who will give them, you know, a, a, a chance just because she believes in them. I think it's a shame that she's been kind of railroaded or hijacked into, you know, the big four of the Edinburgh Comedy Festival. She doesn't really fit there. But um, if you're going to go to one of the big four, uh, Gilded Balloon is fun. And the nachos in the library bar are amazingly a bit of a bargain and delicious. That's a top tip. Yeah, it's a top tip, nachos. All right, that was Kate Copstick. Um, I don't know what you made of it, whether you like it, whether you didn't, but um, it's certainly entertaining, and she's um, gloriously entertaining to talk to. That interview was taken um, eight years ago in Mama B Ashra, which is a, a charity that's still running. If you'd like to support it, you can do. Just um, there's a, There'll be a link on the podcast, so just click that and, and give us some money. And I'll give, not her some money, give the charity some money. It's a worthwhile charity that actually physically does real good in the world so um thanks for listening and i will see you in um maybe probably about two weeks for the next ed fringe podcast all right have a good week or fortnight goodbye everyone